Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Real Life Ghost Stories. We're back. To kick things off today, we've got a promo. So we are showcasing the Haunted Ride, a paranormal podcast today. And lovely Melissa is the most, just the nicest lady in the world. And she follows us on Twitter and we talk a lot and she's amazing. And weirdly, without without either of us realising it, we did the same episode this week. How weird is that? Well, not this week, not this, not today's episode, last week. Yeah. We did the same, one of the same stories, but obviously... You know, it's a different take on it from her. Like us, she does listener stories. She does mythology. She does urban legends. She does loads of great stories. And I think of her podcast as bath listening. Do you know that kind of really nice, soothing, calming storytelling? I really like it. So I'm going to play her promo. Let's hope it's not silence. Hi, I'm Melissa Cummins from The Haunted Right, a paranormal podcast dedicated to you and your experiences. I know what it's like to have something happen to you that's unexplainable and how it feels to want to tell someone but you're concerned they may think you're crazy. Whether it's a disembodied voice, an apparition, or something you just can't explain, this is your place to share it. So come tune in with me every week while we discuss anything and everything that falls into our paranormal and supernatural world. Because ghosts are out there, and if you're not careful, they will get you. And we are back! So make sure you go and listen to The Haunted Ride. You can find it anywhere that you can find us. And she is also on Twitter and on Instagram. So please go and find her. She is so lovely and brilliant. Our review this week is The Conjuring 2. It was released in 2016. It has an IMDb of 7.4 out of 10. It has 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. And would you like a synopsis? I would love a synopsis. I just realised you literally haven't said anything. No, but I'm here, just in case you're wondering. Dan is here, it's not just me talking to myself. (laughs) Reprising their roles, Oscar nominee Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson from the Insidious films star as Lorraine and Ed Warren, who in one of their most terrifying paranormal investigations, travel to North London to help a single mother raising four children alone in a house plagued by malicious spirits. What were your thoughts? Uh, Firstly, I want to say two things. First thing is that the ratings for this film are potentially higher than they should be, in my opinion. But I'll come to that in a minute. Secondly, I can never watch this film in a serious frame of mind again, thanks to Brokeio Podcast, due to the presence of the infamous Bill Wilkins. Yeah, if you know, you know. Go listen to Brokeio and you'll understand. I absolutely cannot believe this film has 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and 7.4 on IMDb. Like, where do these people have eyes? That rated this film. It was such a crock of shit. Oh, yeah, but I, 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 I kind of understand it because I feel like it's the, it does the, what we've come to expect from blockbuster horror quite well. Okay, I will give it that. It is a very blockbuster horror film. However, there were things like The Crooked Man. So there's, oh, like, yeah, the there's, like a, there's an entity in it called The Crooked Man. And it's not only not frightening, but it's just really badly CGI'd. It's, it's just. You think with all this money that they'd be able to just get a good fucking animator? Yeah, and James James Wan is pretty well known for his effects and stuff for those yeah. things. So it's odd to see him so badly animated, and it's not even like like it's not jagged movements because it's creepy. It's just poorly, really just poorly, poorly done. Animated. Yeah. Well, if you've watched this film and you agree about the ridiculousness of the Crooked Man, because every time the Crooked Man came on screen, me and Dan were like, "Oh, look at this shit! This is awful." Also, you said at the beginning. It's like they all watched Mary Poppins before they yeah. before the film 
before they started filming because their accents are just bizarre. They're really Mary Poppins-esque London accents. There's a, well, there's a couple of them that are all right. The mother is okay. And the bloke who is uh, definitely an English actor, yeah. the, the, the husband of the next door neighbour, they're all right. But the elder of the two sisters, her accent is terrible. And the younger one's not too bad, but she does ham it up a bit. But I guess that's what you get if you, I don't know, if you don't get English actors. Or if they have, if the director has a certain sort of voice in mind. I don't know. Well, there's, yeah, there's having a certain voice in mind. Maybe they are English actor, yeah. actors who just couldn't do English accents. And also... It's that Cockney accent though, isn't it? It's, the yeah. one, it's a bit tricky if you don't know how to do it without sounding like Dick Van Dyke. Ed and Lorraine War- Warren weren't actually involved in this case. Oh, I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say that, but I didn't know how much you wanted to go into And it. I can't bear this romanticising of Ed and Lorraine Warren. They're fucking people who prey on vulnerability. And there's a bit in the film where Ed and Lorraine Warren are on TV and the guy that's interviewing, the, or interviewing against them goes, Ed Warren has never gone into a house that wasn't haunted. And I was like, oh, I really like that. That I mean, that is, that is true. If you read Ed and Lorraine Warren's book, I mean, don't give them any money, actually. So don't bother reading. One of them's dead, so that means he's going to do a lot with the money. The demon in The Conjuring 2 is the nun. It's where the nun fran- the See, nun film what, has come from. This is what I was going to say. You've got two stories going on here. You've got the actual story of the movie, and then you've got the other 30%, which is building into the next film, which is the nun, which neither of us have seen yet, so we're not going to pass comment on, but that's clearly what it is. They're not related, really. I mean, no, they've made it into a story so that it kind of connects... But there's no, in like, in terms of the real life story, there's no actual link between the two things, I don't think. No, there isn't. And at one point, Ed Warren paints a picture of the nun. And like, and the nun is kind of a horrific demon. Do you know, it's it's quite, quite scary. Very Marilyn Manson, Manson-esque, but not Marilyn Manson. Yes. Rather disappointingly. Yeah, Dan kept referring to it as Marilyn Manson the whole way through. And he fucking inexplicably hangs this horrific painting up in the house why would you do that but it's, all of his paintings are freaky like you look at the other collections they're all like haunted images and it's just oh, like yeah look listen. at this this is what i painted today why would you hang that up in your but house? it does lead to one of the most vis- the visually best part of the film for me which is when it's sort of dark light and when the lights are off it's the actress standing and then when you turn the lights on, it flicks back to the painting, which is really clever. I enjoyed that. But then that. there's that ridiculous bit that comes straight oh, after yeah, where she runs, runs with the painting, with in, the front painting in front of her at Lorraine Warren. <laughs> and like, it's just, I just, I can't. And it, I think it's partly because of my own views on Ed and Lorraine Warren and what they've done to people in the past. And also because this is like the Enfield poltergeist case is a really great story. And it's just so Hollywoodized and ridiculous and... It's not actually scary, you know. It's got a few little jump scares in it, I think. Yeah, but I think they're I remember watching it the first time. It kind of made me jump quite a bit. But I've, I think this is like the fourth time I've watched it now. Um, and and, <laughs> just and because of, of Ohio, it's just not... It's, it's turned, ruined it. It's just changed the movie for me yeah. completely. So what would you give it out of five? Three at a push. I do think, interestingly, I think it's better than the Insidious series by the same production company. The Insidious series is scary at parts, but then just loses it when they go into this weird astral plane. It's got the same actor in it as well. Like, yeah. use some other actors, James, please. If you're listening. He's always obviously listening. <laughs> but yeah, I, I prefer it as, I prefer the Conjuring series as a series because it's a little bit, it's not as, apart from The Crooked Man, it's not as ridiculous as the Insidious mm. is. And there's a loose 
thread of reality to it whereas the insidious is just bad shit isn't it really does somebody tweeted me and was like i'm gonna laugh so much if you give this three out of five stars i don't know why i still don't really understand maybe it's because um it's sitting on the fence isn't it i think it was because you always say you don't like things and you're like four stars <laughs> but i like every film we've established this already unless it's the breakup i'm on board and paddy i don't understand why you like the breakup just as a little segue oh did paddy say he liked it I've got a message saying oh i quite like that film i don't know if he's being serious or whether he's taking a mic but Oh, I see. If you like the breakup, we need to have conversations, people, just in general. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it three out of five. One for hilarity purposes, because apparently it's really funny that I give things three out of five. But because I think it's it, this film could have been so much better because of the intricacies of the Enfield Poltergeist case itself. But then I also understand that they're building a franchise. Yeah, so that's, I get that's, that's that. All it is really. I get that. Um, you see Annabelle in the case, don't you? Oh, you see <laughs> Annabelle at the end, yeah. Fucking oh, Annabelle. just me. And I think, but from what I can remember, The Conjuring, the first one was actually quite good. Yeah, no, I it was alright. Like, I don't, as I, like I said, I, I prefer it to the franchise. It would be interesting, and we should have done this before this episode, to have found the Sky Enfield haunting docu- that came out at a similar time with I've Timothy Spall in it. Any better? It's really good, yeah. Okay, there you go then. So it could have been, like, The Conjuring could have done that, but if it hadn't have involved Dead and Lorraine Warren, it would have been a kind of pointless for the franchise, I guess. Yeah, true. So our story today, would you believe, is the Enfield Poltergeist case. Oh, I thought it was going to be the straw man. No, not today. okay. Although I can see the link. I can really see it. So somebody emailed me and said, have you considered doing the Enfield Poltergeist case? And I hadn't because... I thought, this is really overdone. Everybody talks about it. And then I read this guy's email and I was like, this is quite interesting. So I've included the email at the end of the story because it might change the way you see the the Enfield Poltergeist case. And I put it up on the Facebook group saying, would you like an episode on the Enfield Poltergeist case? And people were were all about it. They were loving the idea of it. So buckle up. Can I have a small section during the review of the story where we talk about it in relation to the film? Yes. Okay. I will allow you to but have that. We'll save it for blocked time. Yes. Okay, good. And we also have audio as well during this. So oh, I know you love a bit of audio. You love it. Are you ready? Never. Let's do this. Poltergeist phenomena has been recorded all over the world for decades. The word poltergeist literally means noisy ghost. And the reports of poltergeist activity often centre around bangs, knocks, moving items and moving furniture, scratching sounds, objects being thrown and even small fires. Poltergeist activity in homes tends to start small and then ramp up becoming more aggressive as time goes on and is often associated with teenage girls in particular. One case has gained worldwide notoriety and is synonymous with poltergeist stories. And that case is the case of the Enfield haunting. The reason why this case is so widely known is because of the sheer amount of witnesses and the fact that it gained the attention of the national media. The story has led to books, TV series, multiple television appearances, and films. But to discuss this story, we must go right back to the beginning. To London in 1977. 284 Green Street was a standard three-bedroom council house built in the 1920s and was home to the Hodgson family. Peggy Hodgson lived in the home with her four children. Margaret was 13, Janet was 12, John was 11 and Billy was 7. 
The family was to all intents and purposes a normal family for the area. Peggy was divorced from the children's father and worked hard to provide for them and ensure that they had enough to get by. It seems that the children were happy and well-fed and cared for. Peggy's brother and his family lived nearby and Peggy got along well with her neighbours, so the family had a good support network around them. It was Janet and John who reported the first incident. It was a hot August night and Janet and John were in their bedrooms, no doubt preparing for the drudgery of the new school term. They picked up a faint sound of shuffling that seemed to grow louder and louder and eventually both were simply sitting silently in their room listening to a shuffling sound. It almost sounded as though someone was pacing around the room but dragging their feet as they did so. Peggy popped into the room to wish the children good night, and as she did so a loud knock echoed around the room, and another one, and another one. The children were sitting on their beds looking bewildered at their mother, and she looked confused wondering where the sounds had come from. With a loud dragging sound, the heavy old chest of drawers in the room moved across the floor, and not just a bit, it moved 18 inches. The three immediately went to their neighbour's house for help. But they couldn't explain exactly with what. As I said before, the families had a good relationship, so the neighbours, of course, rushed to help and were immediately greeted with bangs and knocks which echoed all over the house. Any room they went into, the knocking sound would follow. Without really knowing what else to do, the neighbours called the police. This part of the story is probably the part that provides the most interesting evidence of this whole fiasco. And though it's only a small piece of the puzzle, it is a piece of evidence that is not often seen in paranormal cases. WPC Heaps and PC Hyams attended to the scene and reported in their official police report that they had not only heard knocks and bangs in the house just like the others, but PC Heaps had seen a chair move four feet across the living room with no one around to touch it. But what could the police do? Frightened as the family were, there was no crime being committed and the police recommended that Peggy call the council. She did just that and before the council arrived, the family were suddenly witness to all sorts of bizarre happenings around the house. Marbles and pieces of Lego would be hurled through the air, almost looking as though they were flying. Any time the neighbours popped in to check on the family, they too would witness odd flying objects. The council arrived. And again, what could they do? Everything in the house seemed to be in good order. Peggy called a priest, but they too were at a loss as to how to help save, say some prayers and sprinkle some holy water, but nothing changed. Eventually, as happens in many cases like this, Peggy's neighbour called the Daily Mirror newspaper, hoping that some publicity would put them in touch with someone who could help. The house was subsequently visited by reporters, who witnessed flying objects and one of whom ended up with an unsightly bruise from a flying piece of Lego. They decided that they knew who could help. The Society for Psychical Research. Maurice Gross was an interesting man. He was a skilled inventor and invented the rotating billboard which revolutionised advertising at the time. He wasn't always interested in the paranormal, but a tragic life event changed his perspective. 
His daughter Janet had died in a motorcycle accident in 1976, and the events that surrounded that incident prompted his curiosity into the possibility of an afterlife. He became an investigator for the Society of Psychical Research and agreed to visit the Hodgson family. Gross witnessed many strange things in this house, strange enough to prompt him to conduct a total of 180 visits and 25 nighttime vigils. In those early stages, he witnessed marbles that appeared to hurtle through the air and then fall to the floor without rolling in any direction. He heard bangs and knocks, witnessed cupboards and doors opening and closing, and many small objects seemingly jump from their place of rest onto the floor. He, for one, was convinced that something paranormal was happening in this house. According to an article written by Melvin Willen for PSI Encyclopedia, an incomplete list of phenomena witnessed by various people in the house is as follows, and I quote, Marbles and pieces of Lego seen travelling through the air at great speed, seemingly emanating from walls or windows. A teapot shook vigorously on a cabinet in the absence of any external vibration. Metal spoons bent and the lid of a metal teapot was deformed. The shade of a bedside lamp tilted and then straightened. A toilet door opened and closed when nobody was nearby. Cardboard boxes and cushions were thrown by an unknown force. A slipper was thrown across a room by an unknown source. A framed certificate was pulled off the wall. Gross was alone in the room at the time. A bedroom carpet was pulled up at the edge to form an identical shape each time, an effect which Gross was unable to replicate. A settee was levitated and overturned in front of several witnesses. 11-year-old Janet was levitated and deposited in different places at different times. Kitchen unit doors slid open of their own accord. Tubular door chimes swung from side to side many times. Footsteps were heard when nobody else was present. Margaret was held fast by an unknown force. Knocks, bangs and crashes were heard, not caused by plumbing, vibration or other external sources. Coins disappeared from one room and reappeared in another. Small fires started and extinguished themselves without causing damage. Water appeared in circumstances not understood. Normally reliable electrical equipment, tape recorders, cameras, etc. failed to work. Apparitions were seen, partial and total. The iron frame of a built-in fireplace was wrenched from the wall. Excrement appeared in inappropriate places. Written messages. The abusive remarks and swear words in a gruff masculine voice apparently produced by Janet and sometimes Margaret. There were even people who went on record to report the odd things that they had witnessed who had no connection to the family or any interest in the case. We've already discussed PC heaps, but there was also Hazel Short. Hazel Short was a lollipop lady who had happened to be outside of the house. Her attention was drawn to Janet's window when a number of books seemed to slam into it. She then watched in horror as she saw Janet bounce up and down in front of the window at considerable height. Pretty normal for a young teenager to be bouncing on their bed, right? Except Janet wasn't bouncing by her feet. She was completely horizontal and Hazel reported that it looked as though some invisible forces had her legs and shoulders and were flinging her in the air. There was no way she could have achieved that height from bouncing on her bed. 
And then the voice started. The voice is probably the thing you know most about this case. It is probably the most famous part of this case. The voice of Mr. Wilkins. Janet began to make strange noises that she said she had no control over. Rough dog barks and odd high-pitched whistles emanated from her, but nothing was as bizarre as the voice of Mr. Wilkins. The voice was male, guttural and rough, and came from Janet. He said his name was Mr. Wilkins, and he had lived in the house. He had gone blind and died of a brain hemorrhage in a chair in the living room. Interestingly, this was true. And Mr. Wilkins had lived in the house and had died in it, which Janet was allegedly completely unaware of. Before we continue with the story, it is important that we hear the audio. And remember, this is a 12-year-old girl. Let me hear you say my name. Come on, let me hear you say my name. That's not my name. Come on, my name's Morris. Let me hear you say it. Morris. Say Dr. Bellock. Come on, let me hear you say that. Come on. Let's hear you say Dr. Bellock. Say say Dr. Bellock. Come on, if you squeak the bed, I can't hear you talking. Now, say Dr. Bellock. Come on. Come on, say it for me, Dr. Bellock. Dr. Bellock. Did any friends go with you? Yes, all of them. 
As well as being the most famous part of the story, the voice is one of the most controversial parts of this story. How did she do it? Where did it come from? Those were two of the most pertinent questions. Janet's mouth was taped shut and the voice continued. Her mouth was filled with water and the voice continued. A speech therapist was brought in and couldn't give a definitive answer as to where the voice was coming from. Margaret sometimes spoke in the voice, but without the same tones or longevity as Janet. Other tests were carried out by scientists, which suggested that Janet technically could make the noises herself, but doing so should cause her great throat pain and hoarseness. But outside of the voice, Janet spoke normally, and seemed to suffer no ill effects. Gross offered to donate £1,000 to charity if any child could replicate the noises. No one came forward. Multiple investigative efforts were made, but no satisfactory explanation was found. Physicist David Robertson reported witnessing Janet levitating, his hair being pulled by an unseen force and the teleportation of various objects. He even reported being hit square in the head by a flying plate. Mediums and magicians were brought in to try and detect trickery. Janet was given a full psychological and physical examination and was found to be perfectly healthy. Hypnosis failed to uncover any secret hijinks and all in all, everyone was dumbfounded. But the case is not without its sceptics. Janet admitted later in life that she and Margaret in particular were responsible for around 2% of the alleged phenomena. Gross had even caught them trying to trick him on a number of occasions, but he believed that they were simply replicating what they were seeing around them. Some investigators claimed that Janet had learned how to do the voice and simply enjoyed the attention. And neighbours allegedly stated that the beginning had been genuine, but the events had become farcical due to the never-ending investigations. Famously, photographs of Janet allegedly being thrown around her room were criticised as being her simply jumping, and Gross spent years of his life defending the validity of the case, citing in particular the huge number of impartial eyewitnesses. He appeared on numerous TV shows and wrote numerous articles. There are also some who cite similarities between Janet's voice and Tourette's syndrome. Janet went on to be mercilessly bullied after all of the media attention. She married young, and lost her son when he was 18 years old. Her mum died in 2003. Janet always maintained that what had happened was true, and in one interview cited playing the Ouija board in the months prior to the haunting, 
After Peggy died in 2003, another family moved in and quickly moved out after stating that they felt as though they were being watched and the children reported hearing people talking to them at night time. Today, a family lives peacefully in the house, but they don't want their children to know what happened there. I'm really torn by this story because I feel like it's explainable. I've got so much to say about this story. I'm really torn, like I said, because I actually feel like this is either true and there's a lot of there's a lot of things in my mind that suggest that it might be true or it's actually really sad because it it could quite easily be a ploy to make money for a family that are really desperate which makes it quite sad i think but i'm gonna go down the real route to start with okay go on so the police report for me is quite a big deal because the chair moving yeah because again it's been committed to paper in in an official report which makes it sort of unnerving and i think the fact that they did so many substantial tests of the girl is also quite intriguing as well like leading me towards thinking it might be an actual case of possession and i'm now about to say something that's really stupid but bear with me. If I was a demon, I don't think I'd want everybody to believe that someone was being possessed. Because I think the intrigue naturally keeps people looking and keeps people digging into it. As in the question as to whether or not it's real. Yeah. And I think actually it's probably it probably makes people more vulnerable, more open than it would if everybody believed that it was real. Because then they'd just be like, well, we'll be leaving that alone then. Uh, and I think actually the, the sort of mystery behind it, that's how I'd want it. And I think there's so many questions around this. Like there's so many things that are really like really obviously seem really obviously fake. Like that, like the still images of the, the girls levita- levitating. They're just jumping on the bed. There's nothing in those images that, that no, looks true. like they're actually levitating. They're just jumping off the bed. All the sort of evidence is, is patchy. There's, there's sort of images of stuff moving in the stills, like curtains. and But because they're still photos, they could easily be rigged. Like they don't have to be doctored, but it could be rigged to make it look like that. And so that's there's those questions. And then if you listen, when that voice recording that you've put in the podcast sounds really fake because the guy, the gruff voice, Bill Wilkins, is Morris Green's voice, but just... It's not green, is it? Morris Gross, sorry. His voice, but just a little bit gruffer. Because if you listen to him when he's talking, he sounds like Michael Caine. My name is Michael Caine. Yeah, he does. And then if you listen to Bill Wilkins' actual tone and inclination, it's the same. It's just gruffer. So do you think Morris Gross did it? It could. No, I don't. I don't know. That's the thing. But it could be. And even the video that we looked at briefly then... There's no like. There's no indication that a sound's not coming from off camera. She's not really moving her mouth. She's just like, and it's the same voice again. And you don't see Morris Gross. He's off camera. And so the thing about this is that Ed and Lorraine Warren were corresponding with Morris Green. And the gross, gross. Who's Morris Green? I don't know, but you keep saying it. Morris Green, let me know who you are. Um, (laughs) They they they're corresponding with Morris Gross and their big thing is oh, we can show you how to monetize this like that's on record so for me there's all these questions around it but then at the same time I'm like this is what this sort of uncertainty is better in a way if you are evil okay I see your point I do see your point but I raise you this <laughs> but I raise you I think Morris Gross is a really integral part of this story and I don't think he's a bad guy I don't think he's set out to hoodwink anybody but he lost his daughter Janet and became a paranormal investigator after having her, well, what he believed was her trying to reach out to him after she died. He gets called to this house, and I think his desperation to believe that there's an afterlife and to believe that there's a way for the dead to communicate actually fueled a lot of this. Which makes it a sad story, doesn't it? Even more so. And I think that Janet, because Janet's a little bit wild and carefree, 
I imagine there's actually quite a lot of trauma in that household. So there's a divorce in the household. There's a lot of financial difficulties. You've got a kid who's been sent away to a special school. I'm I'm speculating that it was behaviour issues or something along those lines. You've got another kid with speech impediment. So a lot of stuff has happened in that house that is probably quite traumatic. When Janet and Margaret said they faked it 2% of the time, how about you add about 50% to that? Because they're kids. Yeah. That's what kids do. And I don't, but I, I think like, even if, even if it is a hundred percent true, I don't think the older sister actually had anything to do with it. I think she just jumped on the bad wagon. Yeah. I think Janet it, might it have. It revolves around the, the younger one, whatever her name is. Janet's the younger one, right? Yeah. The older one, Margaret. Margaret's the older one, yeah. Yeah, she's, I don't think I had anything to do with it. It started when her and her brother, who was away at special school, were at home together. I think they created this scenario. And what's really interesting is that the phenomena only happened when the lights were turned off, when the police first arrived. The knocking, but it doesn't explain the chair. Listen, kids are brilliant at faking things. Kids are kids are brilliant. Kids are genius. Their imaginations work in a completely different way than ours do. And I think at the centre of this is either a bored kid or a kid looking for attention. And she got in too deep. I think it got to the point where she was like, I can't go back here because there's all these people coming to the house. People from newspapers, people from the TV, everybody's coming to the house. And you know the way kids like learn how to do weird things? Like like the voice thing. I think is it's just her. I think it's just her. She had this ability and she got in so deep and she couldn't back down. Because all of the things that happen, like everything is explainable. And loads of it happened when people didn't actually see it. It was like they tried to film her secretly and they never were able to because she would find the cameras every time. She absolutely did this. There is no, I don't for a second believe any of this. I guess it's like, it's probably potentially a a ventriloquism skill anyway, isn't it? Well, it is, but Ventriloquists can do ventriloquism with water in their mouth. Yeah, they can. And you can, you can use your vocal cords. You can like isolate your vocal cords to use them independently Oh, there's not a, there's not a hope that this was paranormal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if anybody's listening and they're like, you absolute heathen. I can't believe you don't believe in this. But I don't believe it. I think Playfair and Morris Gross also got in too deep and they spent the rest of their lives defending themselves. The rest of their lives going, no, it definitely happened. Yeah. but And the thing with, the thing with defending yourself is in terms of publicity, it brings publicity back to yourself. Yeah. Whether you're defending falsely or truthfully in your mind however you do it it's good all publicity is good publicity in it to an extent i didn't know that ed and rain warren had said this is yeah i read it somewhere this. and i even think there's a letter I oh there probably is because i i heard an interview on um uh, i can't remember what it used to be called but it's the the podcast that dave trader hosts or used to host before he got the job that um he took from the famous guy which is really helpful. I mean, this is all so vague that There's I don't a really know what you're famous talking about. Late night. Have I blacked out? Like, did no. I miss something here? <laughs> There's a really famous late night um, radio show in America. Um, coast I think to Coast. Yes. Mm. But there's a... Yeah. And the original host called Art Someone. I want to call him Art Bar, but I feel that might be a wrestler. Art... Oh, he's just recently died. He recently died. Yeah. So Dave Schrader got his job. Yeah, okay. So Dave Schrader's original podcast, he actually had an interview with someone that was really involved in the infield case. It wasn't Morris Gross, I don't think, because it wasn't... I think he was dead by that point. But he said a similar... The guy, This guy said, the, the country is a joke because Ed and Lorraine Warren weren't there. Ed came over for a day and most of it was correspondence. Like, they weren't there at all. And I feel like... I'm not saying it's 100% on the record because I don't know... 
but I feel like there is a letter that says this, and I've read that it's about mon- like their involvement was trying to monetize it. Oh, I'd I'd well believe that, but I don't think the family got any money for it. No, but Morris Green, Morris Gross would have, wouldn't he? I'm sure he's written books and... And there's something very faux altruistic about going... And someone got some money from the Mirror reporting on it. Oh, yeah, but the, the, what I'm saying is there's something very faux altruistic about being like, if you can disprove this, I'll give the money to charity. Yeah. Which is, you know, I just, I think... But again, I think that's a publicity whole... thing again, though, isn't it? Yeah. Because people go, oh, who is this guy? Oh, what has he written? Let me have a look at this, blah, blah, blah. Look into it further. And even if you go right back to the start of your story when you were reading the description of the Mirror Reporter, he basically said in not so many words that they couldn't prove that it was happening. But he didn't say it like that because then that ends the story. Yeah. There's no... And actually, you know, the lollipop lady, they're going to talk to her over anybody else that's tried to dispute it because actually them writing about two girls faking a haunting is far less readership than the, a paranormal haunting going on in the, in the late 70s very close to after Amityville in the States caused massive media. And also it was around the time of The Omen and yeah. The Exorcist where yeah. the whole Ouija board yeah. thing, yeah. demonic possession it's was... It's not beyond the realms of possibility no. that these kids I think they faked it. Influenced. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they faked it and I think they faked it very bloody well. However they did it, I don't know. But interestingly, right, this brings me to our listener contribution to okay. this. So Pete, who is a police officer with the Met Police contacted me and he was the one who brought up the Enfield haunting and this I I have a thing like we've talked about this before about whether or not a police officer being involved makes something more likely to be true than not but I'm just going to read you his email right and see what you make of it I'm currently a police officer in the Met Police and once actually met the officer mentioned in the documentary who attended one of the initial calls. She was absolutely convinced at the time that the family were not making anything up, at least not intentionally anyway. Also, I happened to have been born in Enfield in 1971 and lived in a house about 100 metres away from this address until 1974. I guess this might be part of the reason I'm so interested in the reports. However, I grew up to be pretty much sceptical about any reports of ghosts, UFOs, etc. Although I'm sure there are probably things that happen that maybe we can't explain. But there are too many obviously fake reports that tarnish the possibility of genuine ones. My parents, for example, have told me of several things that have happened in our Enfield house prior to us moving away from London. One day, my mum and dad were decorating our living room. The room was empty except for a ladder. My dad was on the top of the ladder, scraping wallpaper off the top of the wall and had a tape measure in his pocket. The tape measure fell out and hit the floor. Both my mum and dad saw this happen, as the floor was clear. It was easy to see where the tape measure fell. However, when my dad climbed down from the ladder to pick up the tape measure, it was no longer there. They searched the room, but no sign. Later that week, my mum was looking for her best cutlery. You know that set that everyone had in their drawer for best occasions? Yes, all mums have good, good things, good placemats. She found the box at the back of the cupboard but there were three knives, forks and spoons missing, which she said is very odd as she hardly ever uses it. About a week after these incidents, my mum went into the bathroom to run a bath for me and inside the bath were the missing cutlery and the missing tape measure. Weird. My parents assured me that neither of them had moved these items and why would they? At the time, I was a baby and not old enough to do this either. Finally, I'm told that when I first started to sleep in a bed in my own bedroom in this house, I would cry and keep them awake in the evenings claiming there was a lady standing in the doorway. In an attempt to stop this, they moved my bed around to face away from the door. When they did, I slept fine. I have no memory at all of this, but my mum was convinced that the lady in the door was her gran, who raised her, who died before I was born and never got to see me. 
I've no idea if her gran also had a tendency to hide cutlery and tape measures, though. <laughs> I'm not suggesting in any way that whatever was happening in our house was linked to, to the famous Enfield haunting. I just find it interesting that we lived so close to it and almost at the same time. We moved away from Enfield in 1974 and the Enfield haunting started two years later. So, the fact that all these years later, this man meets this police officer who worked the case, who was one of the first responding officers, and she still believes it's true. Does just, that have an impact? It does, but I also feel that being a female police officer in the 70s, if you're going to report something that's batshit, I think you stand by it. Yeah, I suppose that's a good point. I mean, it was rife with sexism at the time. Absolutely. Well, I guess she, she, you know, there was two of them there. There was two of them that stood by what they had seen or what they claimed to have seen. But I just think... The fact that nothing happened without the lights being turned off with the police officers says everything that you need to know. Okay, segue. Oh, I love a good segue. Go not, for it. Not random, but I wonder if Enfield is on a ley line. That would be Christ on a bike. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? This is going to be one of those things that I have to cut out, isn't it? No, because that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anymore because I don't know, but it's just interesting. I can't explain it because <laughs> I know, but I haven't thought about how I explain it because I just presume people know what I was talking about. Just Google ley line. You'll see. Google ley lines. So what do you think? In paranormal or no? I think probably in this circumstance, not. But I think it's a really sad story, actually. For once, we're on the same page. Mm. But I, I I, was torn at the start, and I think you swayed me yeah, towards boy. your line of thinking. But I have doubts about it anyway, because I feel like a lot of the evidence is explainable. Yeah, it is. It's the chair. I feel like I need fact or fiction, fact or paranormal people. What's it called? That, fact or fake paranormal files. Yeah, to come and work out how you can fake a chair moving across the floor. So you wanted to say something about the film? So now we now we know, now we've had the thing, there's lots of things that we can talk about about the film. So firstly, Ed and Lorraine Warren, all of that is completely fabricated. Yeah, they weren't involved. Which makes the film trash. Yeah. Indeed, doesn't it, in terms of a true story. I know it doesn't claim to be a completely true story because it says based on true events, but actually Ed and Lorraine Warren had nothing to do with it. Except um, trying to tell people how to monetize yeah, absolutely. a haunting. But on the other hand, how well is the set recreated, the clothing the apart from the open plan house but i mean in even terms the of girls hairstyles girls hairstyles is if same. you look at the photos i'll put everything up on the facebook page if you look the at videos. the photos of the bedroom they have recreated it poster by poster painstakingly in that film so you've got to give credit where credit is due yeah and the the scene where they sit and record yeah. bill wilkins voice coming out of her she's wearing the same outfit she's as got she the mannerisms the down as well recording. yeah she's got the mannerisms down she's got a much uh the actress has got a much less freaky face than the real girl <laughs> the only she's she might be listening to this get great <laughs> i'm sure she's grown into her looks um <laughs> But yeah, and now I'm going to say one something, which is my my pet peeve, which is really not going to annoy anybody else. But they start the film with London's Calling by The Clash. Oh, that is hilarious. And they have all these uh, clips of just really quintessential London things, yep. like the changing of the guard, like London Bridge. Just, it's really, we were laughing the whole and way through I, that. And bit. I don't mind um, anachronist music if it is obviously anachronist. So if you're using like the Spice Girls to do something in the 70s, so you're just using it for the song and not for the atmosphere, story the story yeah. yeah but london's calling came out in december 1979 <laughs> and it bothered me from the start and i just can't deal with it like when it happens like that like when Derry girls used shipping up to boston yeah and everything else is in time is in is of the time but shipping up to boston is like 2008 
Uh, this is one of Dan's things <laughs> that he just can't deal with. So yeah, that that's that was my like of all the things that was my biggest pet peeve, and it started right at the beginning. I was just like, oh come on, man! It is a great song. London's Calling is an amazing song, but if you're gonna if you're gonna use like songs of the era, at least choose something that was out when it happened. We've got two new reviews. Yeah, our first review comes from Laura Jean Berry. Absolutely a must listen. I found these guys by searching for new podcasts about ghosts. Might be a little bit obsessed with ghost stories. Started binge listening at work and these guys are great. I love how Emma is the one that's like, yeah, that's complete bullcrap. And Dan is always like, well, now I'm not going to sleep tonight. (laughs) They're just hilarious. And I love the stories that they do. Ghost stories, legends, scary movies and stuff in general has always fascinated me. Do yourself a favor and take a listen. You won't regret it. Thanks, Laura Jean. I love it. That was my American... My uh, my b- bad attempt at American accent. Very like good. It. Yeah, very I enjoyed good. it. And next one is from Spooky Guy Ka- Spooky Guy Ty. I don't know why that's so hard to say. And it's entitled "The Queen and King of Creep." I fucking love this review so much. Although I do feel like if I went around advertising myself as the King of Creep, they might be. Oh no, it would have it would have definitely different connotations. Yeah. Thanks though. How do I begin describing my newfound obsession with Emma and Dan? You'd think they'd been your best friends for a millennium starting each episode with a film review and lots of stingingly stinging stinging stingingly oh my god i can't even read (laughs) stingingly honest opinions the two make you feel like you've just gathered in the living room for a round of beers as a content creator myself find them on instagram at spooky guy tie i look up to those so dedicated to their craft Emma's chilling ability to dive headfirst into a terrifying tale of woe and flip right back to the profanity-laced laughing fit is everything. Dan is a big bad teddy bear. (laughs) The king of creep, the big bad teddy bear, Dan. (laughs) Who convinces me everything and anything is haunted. Clear the podcast throne for the new queen and king. Snap, snap, snap. There was a snap's fingers in there, so... Yes, Queen. I love that we're the king and queen of podcasting. I love that the first podcast review that I actually get any credit, I'm called the king of creep and a big bad teddy bear. I actually sent this review to my sister because I found it so funny. I loved it so much. (laughs) Thank you, Ty. We absolutely adore you. Thanks, Ty. So, if you enjoyed today's episode, which is quite a long one. Oh my God, how far? Oh, we're nearly at an hour. People are going to be so happy. We won't be. be It's going to be about 45 by the time we cut out all the Yeah, all the bullshit. So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you come and follow us on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. Come and follow us on Twitter. Uh, at Real Ghost Pod. Come and follow us on our Facebook group, which is Real Life Ghost Stories. The answer to the question is Emma and Dan. Although we are loving the alternative answers that people are giving. Yeah, people are giving answers where they're like, eh, just guessing names. Because they're like, I'm going to just start listening. You didn't say your name in the episode. And I'm like, oh, well, you need to listen more then, don't you? <laughs> Don't bother adding us on Snapchat. People are still adding us on Snapchat. I literally never post anything on Snapchat. Maybe so you should give me it. the range of Snapchat <laughs> and then people stop. People would stop following us then. They'd be like, who is this guy? Why am I just seeing pictures of wrestling and a cat all the time? Although Bims would keep the readership up. Not the readership, the... Uh, the followers up. Followers she up, would because yeah. she's so beautiful. Oh, and if you enjoyed this week's episode, go and leave us a review on iTunes and a rating. We're nearly at 100. Ooh. That's quite cool, isn't that it? Is three figures. Considering we started off this podcast going, if what I did, if we get 200 listeners a week, I'd be really happy. And now we're getting thousands of downloads a week. Who knew? Dan's doing a dance, but nobody can see it. Forgetting it's not actually recorded. Until (laughs) next week. We love you. Goodbye. See you later.